Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. You could not do yourself any better favor than to take and than to find yourself to some Watchmanee books, in my opinion. Well, um, this is an article from Watchmanee that he wrote many years ago. As I said, you're going to get it on your way out. And and, and this is kind of I'm just going to sum up quickly in a few sentences what I think Watchman Nee is trying to say here. First of all, um, how many of you know that in the scriptures, Jesus is presented not only as savior, but Jesus is presented as the friend of the sinner. Have you ever heard that title for him? He's the friend of the sinner. And I love I love that term. I love that title. I love it because, uh, because that's who he is, and that's what he was like when he walked this planet. I mean, really, what can we say about him? I mean, when you read the Gospels and you see him uh, stand up to those religious bigots, when you see him um, humble, washing the feet of his disciples, when we see him with with children and women, and we see him being willing to say, uh, break the rules, and being willing to be uh, eventually nailed on a cross by the very people he created. I mean, brothers and sisters, I really believe that God, by his Holy Spirit, needs needs to and wants to magnify the Lord Jesus again in our midst Uh, show us Jesus again that we might fall in love with him. And, well, okay, Linda, that's great, but, you know, how do we get there? Well, I think one of the problems in our Western civilization, and particularly in the Western church, as divorced from the Eastern church, I think that we've gone, um, I think we have a problem in the sense that we have started to, we started to present the gospel. I'm not going to get into the third century when Tertullian started it, and he was a lawyer to start, he's, he was a lawyer, and then uh, he, we started to see uh, a, a kind of a courtroom, the judge and the courtroom, the picture of God, our Father, as the judge in the courtroom. It, it, it took up, uh, it, it started to um, get more momentum when Calvin and Luther in the 16th century, also lawyers, uh, started to now also uh, give more credence to this particular picture of the judge. And um, as this happened and and it collided with Western civilization, I think it did something very damaging. A number of us, uh, and I am not the first person to say this, I've heard people say it themselves, I think it did something very damaging to the church. I think what happened is we started to confront people that don't know the Lord and kind of presented the gospel like it was a contract. You know what a contract is? I could get Eric, he's not here, or John, where are my lawyers? Anybody else a lawyer in here? That you can, how much do you study? And Laura makes me raise his hand. John, John, you do a lot of studying in law school about contracts, am I right? The first year you do a whole course on it. Yeah, I remember you talking about it. Contracts. I mean, isn't it hysterical? I mean, the things you hear about on the news about people who are demanding their rights and everybody's suing everybody 
because their rights are being violated. And it's, just, I mean, it's, we live in this kind of a culture today. Unfortunately, I feel it's crept into the church. And I feel like we have really started to present salvation in a very unhealthy and warped way. What do I mean? I mean, back in the 70s when we first came to know Christ, do you know how I was taught to do it, to kind of approach people? We would approach people and we would say, if you would have died tonight, where do you think you would go? Now, that, of course, would so beckon people, wouldn't it? I mean, that would so embrace people. But that's what we were taught. Listen, I want to say something. You know what? Nowhere do you see Jesus do such a thing. Nowhere. I want to tell you, Jesus did very little talk about the afterlife to people. You know what? He met people where they were, talked to them about their situation, and knew that the road they were on was going to take them somewhere. So let's get them where they are on the road and help them get, get right on the road they're in. And he knew that eventually it would bring them to the right place. But I'm afraid that this is something that's been in the church now for decades. It's, like, it's all about, okay, this is how it goes. Okay, you've got to believe a few things. You've got you to believe this and believe that and be able to say, okay, you believe Jesus is the Lord? Yeah, okay. Do you believe that uh, he rose from the dead? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you go through the list. Okay, now say the sinner's prayer. Uh, okay, great. You seal the deal. I need a few amens because this is going to be tough, right? Th this is what we've done, you know. Now, honestly, I've met a lot of people who have answered the questions and they've said the prayer and they ain't here. Right? I think that we have so belittled salvation. I think we have made it so, so... Uh, it's so far apart from the real essence of salvation. Salvation is not a contract signing. Um, hey, Rachel, let's hold up those, uh, hold these up for me. The first, uh, boy, my office has to have a lot of patience to work with me. You wouldn't want to work with me. I never know when I'm preaching to the last minute. And I've got Joanne and Rachel, and I, thank God, Mary, they're always, they're always there for me. I appreciate it. And Rachel did these for me uh, yesterday. Um, now, what did I just say? I said a contract. We're going to just spend a few minutes talking about the... Now, was it something I said, or was it a... <laughs> I want to... It wasn't anything I said, Paul, right? <laughs> I know Paul well enough to do it. I did it to my brother last week. He's mad at me, too, so... Um, we're going to talk about a contract versus what? A covenant. Brothers and sisters, there is a universe of difference between a contract and a covenant because the Bible knows nothing about contracts. The Bible and the narrative of the, of the Bible is filled with covenants. God is a covenant-making God. We see him make a covenant with uh, Noah, remember? rainbow in the sky as a sign he'd never uh, uh, never bring water to cover the earth again. Then he did, a, he did um, a covenant with Abraham. The sign of that covenant was circumcision. 
Um, he did, a, he did a, a, a covenant with David. And then we see, right before he's crucified, we see that he gets around a table with the disciples, and what does he do? He enacts the new contract. Oh, no? He enacts the new covenant. And unless we understand what a covenant is, we are missing so, we're missing out on so much. You see, a contract is about a legal deal between parties. It's a, now, a covenant is about a commitment involving the, involving the life of both parties. For instance, if I buy a car or I buy a house and I enter into a contract with Joanne, um, that doesn't change me. I, I get the car. I may never see her again. And all, I've, I've gotten a purchase, but it doesn't touch us personally at all, does it? Now, a covenant is different. A covenant is about a commitment that involves the life of both parties. Let's look at the next one, Ray, please. Uh, I said about acquiring something from someone. We said a car, a house. A covenant is about an other-oriented relationship with someone. You see, when it comes to a, ca when it comes to a, um, a contract... We're taking out a contract not because we trust people, but specifically because we don't trust people. A covenant is that we are putting in, we are putting our trust in the faithfulness of the person I am going into covenant with. You see the difference? One I'm doing because I trust, one I'm doing because I don't trust. Because if a contract, if, if something happens and the contract is not followed through, the, uh, the power of those laws, and I, I can go and now do something about it that will uh, enact that contract for me. I'm not trusting that person. I'm trusting the fact that, that there's laws and rules in that contract, and if they violate it, that contract is over. Not so with a covenant. We'll keep talking about covenant in a minute. Okay, one more. I think we have one more. Uh, a contract, I said, it's a purchase, a house or a car. It's a, it's a deal. It's a law, it's conditional, and it's evaluative. evaluative. Mm. Did I say that right? Evaluative, right? Okay, now a covenant, the only thing that we have that is the last uh, place that we can possibly look at a covenant in the world we live in today is marriage. And unfortunately, even marriage is starting to look more like a contract than it does a covenant. A covenant, now we, we sign our, you know, our, our, our wealth away. We, make, we, write uh, we write a contract to make sure that if this marriage doesn't last, uh, I go home with my goods, and you don't get any of that. I mean, we see that, now when I talk about a covenant of marriage today, I'm talking about a traditional, the traditional marriage. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the thing. Salvation... When we start to limit salvation to this, say all these right, believe all these right things, say the prayer, and you're good, I want to tell you something. Do you know what the book of James says? The book of James says that demons believe, and it doesn't save them. 
You want to sit on that for a while? It isn't just a mental assenting of a few facts. That is what we have made it to sound like. Hang in there, hang in there, if, you find, if you're finding this a little hard to get for a while, because it's important. Salvation is not about just mentally assenting some things and then, uh, like I said, saying a prayer. Brothers and sisters, salvation is something you enter into. The picture that we have of that's being presented of God through a contract is so not the God. If there's anything Satan wants to do, he wants to distort our picture of him. Didn't he do that in the garden? Didn't he try to distort? Didn't he say to Adam and Eve, oh, really? Oh, God, did God say, really, that you couldn't eat of that tree? Hmm, yeah, I guess he's threatened if you do. I want to tell you that the most important thing about you today and me today is our picture of God. And I want to say that somehow, you know what the message is? The message is that God was so angry and, and he put all that anger on Jesus and now Jesus is our lawyer and now because he's my lawyer, he found a loophole and now I'm let go and now I have my insurance and now my eternity is, is secure. Now listen. There's some truth to that. But I want us to underline today that covenant making and covenant keeping is one of the greatest truths of the whole Bible. That's why it's called the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's incredibly important how we see covenant. Now, did you know that that, that when God came in to make a covenant with us in the new covenant, do you realize what a covenant is? It's when they would take, they would call it cutting a covenant. And they would take a sacrifice, an animal, they would cut the animal in half, they would put one on one side, one piece on one side, one on the other, and then they would both walk in between those pieces, and they would both be saying, and so let it be to me if I break the the terms of this covenant. That's how serious it was. The ancient world was just filled with covenant keeping. Did you know that for the New Testament, God wanted to bring his people back to him. He wanted to bring people back to him through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But did you know he took both sides of that covenant? Do you know that Certainly, he took his side, was God's side, but he had to find a human being that I could be totally dependent, faithful, that, could, that would never break that covenant. Who do you think that was? Jesus Christ had to come in the form of a human being, and God himself kept both sides of that covenant. That's amazing. That's amazing. Because, brothers and sisters, God, give us the words. Because it's hard for us to get it. But, brothers and sisters, before God is a judge, I want to tell you, John the Baptist said, Behold, the bridegroom comes. The biggest paradigm in the, in the whole Bible from the beginning to the end is God is sent his son. God is looking for a bride. He is looking 
for a people that he can be intimate with. He's looking for people he can live in, that he can, he can flow through. Brothers and sisters, salvation is ours. Salvation means that God came to live his very life in me by his spirit. We have so cheapened salvation. We have so cheapened what it means. Brothers and sisters, there's a river that we need minute by minute. God wants to be in fellowship with us. You know, Joe and I have stood here many years and married many people. And you know, when the bride comes down the aisle, and there she comes, and she's, you know, dad's with her, and she comes here, and she stands on this platform, and she makes some vows before God with her husband. And you know something that totally changes? The pronoun in her life is now totally, the pronoun in both their lives has changed. The picture of our relationship that God wants with you is a, is a wedding and a marriage. You see, when you, that bride and groom, walk through those doors, there's no more I, there's now a we. The pronoun totally changes. I remember, you remember? It's, you know, you got married, you, you, you started your life together, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, gee, there's a, there's a bill here for uh, uh, something. It looks like some clothes somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, was that from you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, you have a problem with that? You remember? You remember? Everything changes. Well, yeah, um, I'm not going to be home Wednesday night because I'm going to be out with the, the guys. We're going to be doing something. Huh? You're going out where? You're going to do what? I mean, there is a transition when there is a marriage because Marriage is about two people being joined together in one flesh. Oh, brothers and sisters, that's what Christianity is. It's you and God together forever now in this life and in this body. And if there's anything that we've done to make God out there somewhere, some deity that's out there, I want to tell you, he is here. He is, he's, he's in the atmosphere. The Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. We know that he is, he's always around you. He always hears you. He's always moving in your life. He's moving in the life of every human being to draw them to himself. He is, I don't understand it, but I know it's true. The God of this universe desires, he's lovesick. He is not first, all of, uh, first of all a judge. He is the bridegroom. And he is coming back for a bride. He's not coming back. Listen to me. He's not coming back for a bunch of acquitted criminals. Do you know what I mean? He's not coming back for a bunch of acquitted criminals. Listen, I may be very grateful to the judge who released me and let me go. But I'll tell you what, I'm not going to be in love with them. I want us to know that Jesus Christ wants us to be passionately in love with him because he is in love with you. It's hard to get those words out over the atmosphere. I remember before the Lord became real to me, I remember thinking, I remember reading 
or hearing the first commandment, thou shalt love the Lord God, you know, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and uh, I remember thinking, really? But I don't even know him. And how do I, how do I, I know my family, I can love them, but how does he expect me to love him? Well, you know what we're going to do just for a minute? You're going to see some amazing things. Um, because he's a covenant-keeping God, I want us to see God, it, you know, God really isn't looking for us. To, when we start to take the Bible and make it a textbook, we're in trouble. But I want, I want to maybe suggest some things, maybe in the church for the first time, that might be kind of new to us. But I want us to know that. I want us to see something a little bit, maybe a little differently today. Now, if we understand the Jewish customs, we would be a little bit clearer and understand a little bit more of what this wedding that God's looking for, maybe, maybe to help us to understand it a little bit more. First of all, a Jewish couple, they would uh, come together and they would have what they would call a betrothal ceremony. And this ceremony would be a celebration it would be a feast, and every, the family would get around. It would be a gracious time. But this, is the, this, is a, this was the beginning of their marriage. They were not married yet, and chances are they would marry for one or two years after that consummation. That's why when Mary was found pregnant, they had a, he, she was betrothed to Joseph. And when, when he found out she was pregnant, he would have to give her a divorce because it was just as binding as being married. The betrothal ceremony was just as binding as the marriage itself. But for that, for that one or two years, what would go on? Well, the woman would be mentored by other women, and she would make herself ready for this new season in her life to be the bride, to be a wife. And she would, as I say, be mentored. They would, the older women would teach her things to do, uh, even how to act with her husband. And the husband would leave, and he would go and, he would go and get a house secured. He would go and do everything that would be needed for that little family and then he would come back for his bride. And they would, they would have another ceremony, and then they would consummate the relationship, and now they were married. Now, is anybody seeing any pictures there? Mm -hmm. this, is, this is what I want to say to us. There's two ordinances that Jesus left us as his people water baptism, and the Lord's table. And it's not all that long ago that someone introduced me to this thought, and I am absolutely, um, I so, I, my insides so assent to it. Water baptism, we can, we can show that. Water baptism is the betrothal 
the betrothal ceremony. Water baptism is the bride saying yes. Brothers and sisters, I've said before, we have to get, you know what, in the world we're living in, with Christians told to leave their houses in 20, 24 hours and in Middle Eastern countries and look at that amazing Sudanese woman and what she went through, I, I want to tell you, I believe that the church is going to come forth in such a mighty way in America. I'm not believing all the doomsday prophets. I believe that those that really and truly does want to be disciples, I want to, it's our day. It's our day. But I want to tell you, lukewarm and peripheral people, I'm afraid the heat's going to get too hot. I want to say to you that next Saturday, we are having a water baptism. Sunday. That's what I said, didn't I say? Sunday. Sunday, we're having that water baptism. And I want to encourage you to come and accept the highest degree of relationship you can have with the Lord Jesus Christ. That water baptism, getting in that water is saying, I am now, just like that bride walks out and says, my old life is over. All my past is behind me. And now from this point on, I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Water baptism is immensely important. Now, I told you that they would have a betrothal ceremony, and, and I believe that that water baptism is it for us. But they would also have a feast, and that feast would be uh, representative of the, the real feast they were going to have when the, when the groom finally came back to get her. But this was a feast they'd have at the betrothal, he went to prepare a place for her. Hmm, that's interesting. And then he'd come back, and they'd have a, a bigger feast. I believe. Brothers and sisters, at this table today, I believe that this is the table that's the feast of our relationship with him. And this is Jesus here who poured out his life for us and you know what he's saying here at this table? Will you marry me? Will you be mine? I gave you all that I have. I gave you all that I am. Will you do the same and give me who you are? Not a contract, a covenant. A covenant where two people become one flesh and they're joined together. I will forever look at the Lord's table like this. This is the time to come up to the table and to be, re to be reminded every time we get to that table, is Jesus here totally spilled out for you, saying to you and to me, I want all of you to. I want all of you to. I'm not first the judge. I'm first the bridegroom. And I can't explain to you why the beautiful, magnificent, eternal, glorious maker of this whole universe, the God of glory, would be in love with human beings. I don't get it. 
but there's going to be a day that you are going to be so full of the glory of God that everyone will be astounded and say only a God, only a great God could have possibly created such a being. Do you understand what our future is? It's not in this world, brothers and sisters. Our future right now, what did we say? We said that the, the groom went off to prepare a place for them to live. Does that sound familiar? Didn't Jesus say, I go and I prepare a place for you and I will come back and I will come back and make you my, I will take you with me. Do you remember? And, and what was the bride doing while he was away? What did I say? She was getting ready. And doesn't the revelation say the bride makes herself ready? Brothers and sisters, right now in the church, that this is the hour. This is the hour for the bride to make herself ready. It says with fine linen she's dressed. And that says the righteous acts of the saints. Don't settle. Don't settle for some low-life Christianity when this is the time as a bride you and I need to be letting the Holy Spirit change us and transform us. Listen, a contract doesn't change you, but a covenant changes you. A covenant changes you. Since my marriage uh, 90 years ago, how, I don't know how long, was, was there ever a time I didn't know you? God in heaven. He changed me. Some of, some of it wasn't good. All right, all right, all right. I have to be honest. I'm in church. Most of it was good. You know what he did? I'll tell you some things marriage did for me. It showed me myself. It showed me when I get up in the morning and I'm grouchy and I need my coffee. And he's a morning person. Good morning. Good morning. Your spouse is a mirror. The Lord told me a long time ago. And those of you that are not married, you know, God has his ways of doing this, of course, as well. But God told me a long time ago, if you want to know how you and I are doing, take a look at how you and Joe are doing. A covenant changes you. Joe taught me how to love. I had great parents, but somehow or other, love really never got to my heart. He taught me how to love. He, he taught me how to... Begin to be patient. I knew if I said be patient, the whole row here would be like, what? What? I knew I'd lose them and they would, I knew they'd let out the, they'd let the duck out of them, the cage, if I said that. I'm trying, okay? Covenant changes you. Brothers and sisters, this is the hour for the bride to make herself ready. I want to tell you, if a contract doesn't change you, listen, salvation is not about, I did this 40 years ago, and I was saved. 
You know, the Bible talks about being saved as a past, as a present, and as a future thing. We're being saved, and we will be saved, and we have been saved. All three are in the Bible. Now, I'm not telling you that I don't believe that there's a day that some, there's a transaction and, and, and you, are usher, you are born again. I, I believe that. But, brothers and sisters, if you're not changing, if, if your salvation is just what you did, what happened to you 30 years ago, and you're not, you and I are not being transformed and changed now, we need to stop everything. We need to stop everything. Listen, do you know as pastors, we're not going to be asked by the Lord Jesus how big our church was. Do you know what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Colossians? He says that his burden was to present every one mature in Christ. We live in such a tepid lukewarm condition. And we have a bridegroom who is madly in love with us. I, those words may be odd to you, but you know the Bible calls women sons of God, and he calls men part of the bride. And I want to tell you, the bride is a corporate bride. You're no single bride. And in a community... We're going to talk a little bit next week before the baptism. We're going to talk about covenantal relationships between one another. So the groom would go. He'd prepare a place. He'd come back and get his bride. They would consummate. They would consummate this. He would, they would consummate this relationship. Let's do the... Do the bride. Yeah. I want God to help me that every time I get to the Lord's table, I remember that this is the feast that's commemorating my betrothal to my beloved, and that I, this is the praying bride, and this is a bride who's making herself ready. One more thing, and I'm going to close. This article by Watchman Nee, I, I loved, and I, I sent it to uh, Pastor Tom, and he loved it. And he said, um, he said, actually, I have an intern that needs to read it. He's a, in some big university somewhere. And he said, you know what? He needs, did I do that? He needs to read it. This is what Watchman Nee kind of says. First of all, I, you know, I thought, I hate the word evangelism. Can I just get that out on the floor? I mean, I remember being in the ladies' room with a gal. Oh, dear God in heaven. We went into a ladies' room, and this poor, unsuspecting woman walked in. And the lady I was with turned into something I don't know that I've ever seen like before. And she whipped out her tracks. And she cornered this lady who was in the... Had to go to the bathroom. Go. And she witnessed to this woman. And I thought, oh, my God. 
if I could only be brave like her. If I could only, God, you know, if that's what you're looking for me to do, the deal's off. I mean, this is, this is a deal breaker, Lord. If this, is, if this is what I need to do, deal breaker. Not going to happen. But I came to realize, you know what? I'm sorry. I don't see. I don't see. First of all, who do people think they are butting into people's lives that haven't asked them? <laughs> I think you make relationships with people, and God opens doors and makes Jesus attractive to them. I don't think God ever gave us the job of going around and pushing people in corners. You know what? We're not, our job is to love, isn't it? Our job is to love and, and leave the rest with him. I'm not going to say that you don't open your mouth when the Holy Spirit causes you to do it. I, I certainly do that, but um, certainly not that way. And, and I'm happy to say I, I don't think that goes on in this church. Okay, I'm going to say one more thing before my last thing, okay? One more thing before the last. Um, oh, actually, I have a lot of things to say before the I have Now, I have to choose which ones to do. Okay. Um, Okay, I'm going to say once one thing, and maybe I'll pick it up a little bit later. You know, the Bible says that unless you lose your life, if you lose your life, you'll keep it. But if you keep your life, you'll lose it. There's an, there's an old story about Aaron in the Old Testament, hidden in Numbers 17. And the children of Israel, Israel were, were, they were mad at Moses and Aaron. They, they attributed bad motives to them. And God said, it's okay, every, every tribe... Bring, a, 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 bring a, a branch of an almond tree and put them in the sanctuary overnight. And then the next morning, they were, they were taken from the tree. They were dead, actually. They were dead. Taken from the tree. The next morning, only Aaron's rod budded. And you know what that was a picture of? It was a picture of this. That was a picture of resurrection life. God was saying, my life is theirs. Do you understand that the Bible tells you that we have to lose our lives? Listen to this. But you lose your life to get another life. One of the things that the groom would do when he left would leave a gift for his bride as a token our groom, when he left, left us a pledge, didn't he? He left us a pledge in the Holy Spirit who's come to live in us. Brothers and sisters, oh, I'm going to say this, and it has nothing to do with where I'm going, but it's been on my heart for so long. You know, God, the Bible says that God's building, we're living stones being built together for a habitation of God. That's what this community is. That's what the church is. It's built together. It means you got to, some of the stones don't want to go near each other, and, and, and you got to kind of like, you should have left. I mean, you got to get some stones together. We're put together to make a holy habitation of God. Brothers and sisters, he can't build his church with flesh. And because he can't build his church with flesh, you and I run into each other all the time in a church. We, get, we offend each other. We hurt each other. We get each other mad. You go through the list. It's like any family. But I want to tell you that God 
God is behind it all. And God is using your brothers and sisters to, to get you conformed, get those edges, those, those rough edges off the side of you. But I want to tell you, any Christian in this day that is not giving their life to be built together with other Christians and, and, and putting their energy in it, I want to tell you they're going to live with great regret. You've got ten virgins in, in Matthew 25. They're all virgins. They all fall asleep. Only five had oil in their lamp. I want to tell you, when, and they turned to the girls, that, the ones that didn't have it, turned to the ones that had it and said, could you give us oil? I'm telling you, the hour is coming that if you don't get your own oil, you're not going to get it from anybody else. You've got to work with God now. You've got to let him make you holy now. You've got to let him in, and you've got, we've got to let him in to be Lord of our lives, and we need to do it now. There's no time to waste. This really is the last thing. So Watchman Nee says this. Watchman Nee says, preachers are allowed to do that. I really, am, I really am closing. First of all, he said he's the Lord of the sinner, and this is what he says. He goes on to say, New Testament, he goes on to say that many think that to be saved, we must first believe that the Lord Jesus died for us. But it's a strange fact that nowhere in the New Testament does it say precisely that. We're told to believe in Jesus or to believe on him, not to believe that he died for us. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved, were Paul's words. We're to believe, first of all, in him, not specifically in what he has done. You see, the first condition of salvation doesn't mean you understand and all your theology is straight. There's one thing. The first step of salvation is helping people meet him themselves. Watch when he goes on to say, he interviewed a young man, and he said, well, uh, you want to accept the Lord? He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, I'm going to be like the thief on the cross. He said, I'm not going to accept the Lord and give him my life until I'm, I get old. I'm going to have fun first, and then when I'm finished having fun, then I'll give him my life. And watch me, and he said, oh, okay. He said, okay. So well, pray with me, and we'll tell him that. He goes, what? He said, tell him what you said. Oh, I can't tell God that. Well, they had a conversation, and he wound up telling God that. Number one, please, honesty. That's what you tell people when you talk to them. When you tell them how phenomenal Jesus has been in your life, when you tell them that he's real, the first thing you tell them is, go tell them whatever you think. Open a conversation with him. And he, and if you are sincere, God will reveal himself to you. And if you're somebody sitting in this church and you've been here for a long time or a short time, Jesus Christ himself is not really real to you. I'm going to need that box. Then I want to suggest to you there's one thing that you may need to do. I'm going to need that table, guys. It's going to take, and we're going to go right to the Lord's table with this. There's one thing you need to do. You see, somehow we get the idea, well, I'm not going to get saved until God answers all my doubts because I don't understand this, and I don't understand that. I don't know if I believe the Bible, and I don't know if I... Don't try to change their, don't try to talk them into, and don't try to get them to see it the way you do. You might be wrong too in a number of things. But what we want to do is we want to meet the Lord. What you want to do is get them, take the shame, the fear off of them, and let them get to God themselves. Brothers and sisters, I think today as we come to the table, I think that from this point on for all of us, 
I think we need to start seeing the table like this. You see, when you surrender yourself to Jesus, it's not a one-time deal. It's an ongoing surrender. It's surrender, surrender in your life in a lot of, in, in one area after another area. So you know what? I've got some things here that I thought, you know what you have to surrender? Your time. Life is the time that we have, the hours we have. You have to surrender your time. How about your, your gifts and your talents? They were given to you. They have to be surrendered. How about all your hurts and your wounds? God wants those too. How about your past, your present, and your future? God wants you to put that on the altar today. Everything that you're dealing with, what's from your past, what you're worried about. Hmm, talking about worried. How about all your fears? How about all your fears? God wants you to surrender them. All your hopes and everything that's in your heart. Today at this table, I pray for each one of us. If you've never surrendered your life to God, I pray this is the first day. If you've done it a million times, then I pray you do it a million and one. How about all your darkness and your sin? How about that addiction you can't shake? How about that sin that nobody knows about but you? You can't do it yourself. You can't do it with willpower. That's what, that's what the 12-step group says. They tried to do, use their will, and they couldn't for years. And then when they finally laid their will down and said, I'm, I'm, I can't do it. I'm helpless. God, God's not going to be shocked by your sin. God's going to embrace you and tell you that he loves you. And he knows about this. But he's made preparation for it already. All your possessions, they don't belong to you. House, the car, doesn't matter. They're his. Everything that belongs to you, you're the steward. That's what the Bible says. We're stewards. By the great, maybe God's been gracious and given you much. Doesn't matter much or little. It doesn't matter. All of your relationships. You know what? Every relationship we have needs to go to the cross. You know why? Because God has to be Lord of every relationship. When He's Lord of a relationship, you can't hurt each other. When He's not Lord of a relationship, we all know we all have wounds. We're going to sing this song. Our brothers and our sisters are going to lead this song. Our brothers and sisters are going to lead us to the table. Please, this is a moment. Don't lose it by the moving around of people this morning. God, when I asked him what was the mood for the Sunday morning, God loves you this morning. He is your bridegroom reaching out to you this morning saying, I spilled out all that I am to ask you to enter the covenant with me and love me and, and let me love you first. You can't love him unless he gives you the ability. I pray this one. Father, I pray for each person in this place, including the speaker. 
let this be a true surrender this morning. Let We want to hand over all that we are. Father, if we could jump in the basket ourselves. We belong to you. You are our soon coming bridegroom. Father, receive, receive us this morning. Receive our surrender this morning. We want to see you, Jesus, in a greater way than we've ever seen you before. We want to live moment by moment with you. Your spirit lives in us. You want to talk to us. You want to speak to us. You want to lead us. You want to direct us. Thank you that you're not that God far away somewhere that we have to throw up uh, balloons to get your attention. You live in us. You love us. You're here today. Touch every one. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.